This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome back to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Brought to you with the Jazz FM Business Breakfast and now available on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Johnny Hart. Each week, we review the stories that made the business and market headlines with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. And it was another dramatic week. I am confident that we can achieve that good deal. That when I take that deal back to Parliament, we gave the British people that choice. They voted to leave the EU. We will be delivering on that vote. They're an important ally, but I want to find out what happened, where is the fault, and we will probably know that by the end of the week. I think there's another set of really good employment figures. So we are at the lowest level since 1975, seven months in a row, uh, wages outplacing inflation. And it's a very good afternoon to Craig Earlham from Oanda. How are you doing? I'm really good, mate. Really good. How are you? Not bad at all. What was your market moment of the week? I think it has to be the Fed minutes. The most interesting thing about the release was the fact that there was nothing new in it. Everything that was in it was already known from the actual meeting itself. We had the dot plot that was released alongside the meeting, which said that we were going to get one more rate hike this year and a few next year. A press conference with Jay Powell, the chair, who alluded to much of what we saw from the dot plot and from the statement that was released alongside it. And the minutes just basically reaffirmed all this, which is no surprise. It's the same meeting. It's the same discussions that have taken place. So why would we expect anything different? The way the markets are right now, the sensitivity to the prospect of more rate hikes sent the markets off again and we were just starting to recover we'd had some strong earnings on tuesday which meant that the dow and the smp made these solid gains and all of a sudden we went into these minutes feeling pretty good and then the markets dropped again and that carried on into asia overnight the markets right now are so sensitive to higher interest rates that even known information now can be seen as a shock and a surprise and can cause that kind of market reaction And once again, in a not very presidential uh, moment, US President Donald Trump has laid in to the Fed. Why? He's laid into the Fed because he doesn't agree with their policy, but it's none of his business. He's the president of the United States of America. He is not the head of the central bank. And the reason why the central bank is independent is because the central bank isn't concerned with how high growth can be. The central bank isn't concerned with getting re-elected by the people of the US. The central bank is there to ensure macroeconomic stability through price stability, and also while ensuring we get maximum employment. Well, inflation right now is around 2%. Employment is below 4% at multi-decade lows, 49-year lows. They are doing their job perfectly well. They've been raising interest rates despite much criticism over the years because inflation hasn't been high, and they are doing it in anticipation of higher inflation. And it's really difficult to see how they're going wrong right now. But in Donald Trump's eyes, he sees them as a threat because he came into his position promising to get GDP up to 4% and saying it would be an easy job to do so. And he's implemented all these measures, which has meant that the Fed has acted act that little bit quicker to stop inflation getting out of control. Because once it gets out of control, it's very difficult to uh, get back in check. And usually that requires raising interest rates to an extent that causes as a recession and the Fed doesn't want to do that. But what Trump sees is someone who's raising interest rates, making uh, the cost of borrowing more expensive, making mortgages more expensive, effectively in his eyes, undoing his, his hard work and jeopardizing his chances of seeing consistently strong 4% GDP. And I think he's also 
playing a game as well. He's got good economic advisors around him who are probably warning him that we're not in the longest ball run ever. A recession may actually happen within his presidential term, no matter what he does. The markets are likely to correct at some point because they don't generally tend to move in a straight line. He's laying the groundwork to point the finger at someone else. So when the markets fell last week, he immediately came out on the day and he criticised the Fed. He was criticising them before that. And again, right now, he's just laying the groundwork. So if the economy does start to falter, if the US doesn't hit 4% GDP, if the markets fall 10%, he's going to point the finger squarely at the Fed. Not my fault, it's theirs. China has reported its slowest quarterly growth since the global financial crisis. Uh, The figure 6.5%, and we dream of that uh, over here, don't we? Um, That fell short, though, of uh, analyst forecasts of 6.6%. There's definitely a cooling in the Chinese economy, isn't there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think they've alluded to the fact that the current trade conflict with the US is taking its toll. And we have seen, actually, efforts this morning uh, to try and stabilise that. So alongside the release of the GDP data, we had we heard from the PBOC and a couple of regulatory bodies saying that they are willing and going to support non-state-backed companies uh, through this period. This is clearly a sign that they're trying to say, we are not going to let the US have its way and let our economy falter as a result. And we saw that reflected in the markets with the Shanghai Composite and other markets, which were down 1% prior to the market open, then ending the day 2% higher. So there is clearly some relief in the markets to these statements. But then there's also clearly some substance to the fact that the Chinese economy may be faltering a little bit now, but there may be worse to come. The trade data we saw earlier in the week, the trade surplus with the US actually widened rather than shrank. Exports are continuing to rise. But how much of this export is front-loaded? How much of this is US companies ordering from China now before the tariffs come into place? So what will the actual knock-on effect be when they've front-loaded all this investment so there's less purchases needed afterwards? And then when the actual tariffs take effect, the impact that that would naturally have on trade as well, that's what we're going to have to wait and see. But I think the authorities are prepared for this. They're seeing the cooling impacts already on the economy. And they are clearly a little bit concerned about what the impact could be. So maybe you wonder whether what the next few months will hold for these trade talks, whether China will now be more open to engaging in talks with the US and trying to find some form of diplomatic solution and avoid harsher tariffs at the turn of the year when these 10% tariffs become 25% tariffs and the final half of the trade which Trump is targeting next at around $257 billion, I think, last time I checked. Quite a bit of UK data out this week, Craig. Uh, Inflation down, lower than expected, 2.4%. Retail sales figures weren't that brilliant either, but we've uh, alluded to that over the last couple of days on the Business Breakfast, down to perhaps the summer boost thanks to the World Cup and the great weather that we had. But uh, those figures must have put pay to any chance of a rate hike in the short term. We had a really good summer. Really good weather. With the World Cup fever seemed to engulf everyone. People were out in the bars. People were out in the restaurants celebrating, having a good time. Um, it feels like so long ago Halcyon now that the grey skies are back. How I miss those nights. <laughs> <laughs> and when people are out, they'll spend money. But one thing that the good weather and the World Cup fever, one thing it doesn't change is people's actual finances. So what you'll typically see is when you see this booming spending, and we did see it, then there has to be an averaging out. And that usually comes in the couple of months that follow that people therefore go out and spend less money. So the fact that we saw retail sales dip more than expected didn't come as any surprise to me and people are probably looking at Christmas thinking god that's an expensive time as well I need to tighten the purse strings a little bit before then so the retail sales coming off no surprise to me after a summer boost inflation coming off no surprise to me again I mean we're only back towards the kind of figures we were seeing prior to the summer so maybe we businesses wanted to make hay while the sun was shining prices went up just a little bit to take advantage of this newfound consumer appetite and feel good factor make our money now because we know that it may be a little bit harder in the months to come so what we've seen is we've seen this little brief spike in inflation little brief spike in spending and now we start to see things 
returning to normality. I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. We're used to the modern world that we live in, in this period now where consumers have less money, willing to spend a little bit less, businesses investing less. That's just the world we live in right now. But I don't think it's anything to get too excited about the summer data either, because it is a one-off blip and these things do average themselves out. Uh, with regards to the jobs numbers, like you say, there was no surprise with the unemployment 4%. Wages grew a little bit quicker than they did previously. But That I is encouraging though, isn't it, as far as the wages are concerned? It depends whether you think it's sustainable and what you think is driving it. My personal view is there is probably two things driving it. One may be a little bit sustainable in the near term, the other less so. Yes, there is a tighter labour market right now and with less people coming over from the EU and that means that people are gonna, these companies are going to have to start paying a little bit more wages to try and draw people in and make them leave their jobs to come there. The other thing I think is driving it, and I think we'll find out in the next 6 to 12 months just how big a factor this is, is that inflation rose quite a bit and people's real earnings were actually falling. So naturally, people are going to be more demanding of employers when the idea of salary comes around again and they're pushing for more money and maybe some companies even preempted that and thought right inflation is high right now so rather than give you a two percent wage increase this year i'll give you a three and a half percent wage increase next year when inflation's back down below don't expect companies to be so generous maybe they'll say no we're back to two percent again i would expect that to have an influence on these uh, wage figures in the longer run so i'm not getting too excited right now and we're seeing a bit of a fall in the prices at the pumps as well and possibly more to come that should help inflation too from a market's perspective you don't always pay attention too much to headline inflation core inflation Inflation is what you pay more attention to, and that strips out a large part of the effect from volatile oil prices. And even if core inflation has been trending in much the same way as overall inflation, we could actually see a spike at the pump at the moment because oil's now at $85 a barrel, even if that drops to $60, $70 a barrel over the next few months. It tends to take around six months, I think, for that to actually follow through at the pumps. So it means that really for the next six months, I would expect inflation to be being lifted by the movements in oil rather than declining. Another week in the life of these interminable Brexit negotiations, and we were saying off air, it's, it's becoming very tiring, isn't it, talking about this day in, day out, and more deadlock. We've reached another deadlock situation this week. Then they're saying, again, next week is absolutely crucial for Theresa May. Could possibly even be the end. I really almost don't know what to say about this at this stage. We've had more negotiations. They seem to fall apart, and then... EU leaders and Theresa May leave yesterday evening or early hours this morning. I'm not sure which it is. Um, it depends how many beers they had after this particular uh, meeting. And they seem quite chirpy. They seem quite optimistic. They were very positive. Progress has been made. And maybe this is to do with the extended transition period, which Theresa May is proposing. Maybe they think that's a step forward. They've um, miscalculated, though, in terms of the actual response from everybody else. This is what I've almost been saying, um, maybe on this podcast, but very much to other people in off air and um, maybe even on the business breakfast in the mornings is that it's not whether the UK and the EU can find a deal that I think is the biggest risk uh, when it comes to no deal. It's actually what happens in Parliament because the EU, rightly so, is it in a negotiation, has really pushed very hard to get a deal which they think is fair and the UK has pushed to get what they think is fair and I think the EU, most people agree, have had the upper hand in many cases. They have more leverage than the UK has and Theresa May has had to back down on a number of issues. But the risk for the EU now is it gets to the point that the Parliament just won't accept it, that it gets voted down because there's too many Brexiteers. Labour don't accept it. The Brexiteers don't accept it. That is a major risk now. Uh, you, you look at something like the extended transition, and I wonder who in Parliament has appetite for that. 
Apparently Merkel and Macron have asked uh, the EU negotiators to go a little bit easier on the UK. I think it's really important that Merkel and Macron do have this view, and I'm sure there are others in Europe as well who share this view, because while it's important for Europe to get a deal that they think is fair, and it's important for them to get a deal for the UK, which doesn't encourage other countries to follow suit, and especially at a time when you look at Italy, for example, where they've got Eurosceptic coalition government who um, I gen- personally believe are have uh, their eyes on a referendum of their own in the years ahead once they can sway public opinion in their favour. It's also important that they remain close ties with the UK after Brexit, because this is, this is a crazy world that we live in right now, and you've got Trump going loco in his own right you've got you've got russia which is always a threat you've got china which is growing in influence all the time maintaining close ties between the eu and the uk is extremely important and you think that yes you could they could probably get an even better deal they could they probably think they could get a slightly better deal on slightly better terms but if that comes at the cost of the relationship with the uk post brexit is it worthwhile you mentioned italy craig there have been some developments this week Italy submitted the budget earlier in the week. This is a budget which aims at a budget deficit of 2.4%, which doesn't seem like a lot, but for an economy that struggles to get 1% growth, that means that their debt is going to increase over the years, which goes against EU rules, and it goes against EU rules for a number of other reasons as well. Also contains a lot of very optimistic forecasts. So they submitted that earlier in the week. Brussels has already come back asking Italy to explain themselves on a number of issues because they believe that this uh, budget is unsatisfactory we're now on for this collision course between Rome and Brussels again both sides have to play this so carefully because the the European Commission needs to abide by the rules of the EU otherwise what's the point in having those rules and what's going to stop other countries breaking their own budget rules equally they have to play this very safely because they do not want to give bait to the coalition government to go back to the Italian public and say, look at what Brussels are doing. They're not even allowing us to give us the slack to grow our own economy. They're having too much influence. You voted for us and we can't do what we want to do based on what you voted for because of them. So the European Commission has to play this very carefully. Okay, Craig, before we let you go, apart from Brexit, uh, what are we looking forward to next week? Well, I think next week, again, is going to be another interesting one. And as I seem to say every week on this show right now, politics is driving everything right now. So everything we've covered today, I expect to continue into next week and continue to be a big influence on markets, whether the Saudi situation in oil uh, and other commodity markets, whether it's Brexit in Italy um, in terms of the European markets and the spreads that we're seeing widening now, for example, with Italian and German debt, which is at uh, multi-year highs, uh, which is a sign of risk in the market itself whether it's US and interest rates and the impact that that has on markets as well. All of these things are going to continue to be the biggest influences on markets over the next week, and I think that's extremely important. But we do have a, other economic events as well, which to keep an eye on. Bank of Canada has a rate announcement next week. ECB has a rate announcement next week. Things like US GDP. All of this, we also have Q3 earnings releases as well. Uh, earnings season got underway this week in the US and gave a big bump to stocks on Wednesday, and we've got plenty more companies reporting now next week also. Craig, have a very good weekend and we'll speak to you again same time next week. You too. That was the Oanda Market Insights podcast brought to you with a Jazz FM Business Breakfast and of course now available on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Have a good week.
That was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.